Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. This morning we begin our series in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I'm excited because it is an exciting book, an exciting section of God's Word. It is such a critical book. Uh, I want you just for a moment as you're turning there to try and think of what it would be like if we didn't have this precious book of God's Word. Uh, What if we didn't have what, what some people call the fifth gospel? We'd have this inexplicable jump from a risen Savior who is ascending up into heaven uh, on the Mount of Olives outside of Jerusalem. And then all of a sudden, there, there are ch- churches strewn all over the then-known world. It's a critical book. Um, and we have in the Acts of the Apostles, we have the birth of the church, the beginning of the church of Jesus Christ. So we find here the very reason you're all here this morning. You wouldn't be here without the Acts of the Apostles. But Acts is so much more than uh, a bridge between the Gospels and the Epistles, between John and Romans the Revelation. Um, So much more than a history lesson. As we study this book over the next few months, if you're a note taker, I'd like you to write down these two things, maybe on your bulletin or somewhere, because I want to keep coming back to them. Um, as we study this book over the next few months, please keep these two things in mind continuously. Acts is our mission statement. So it's very important that we are constantly reminded of what it is Jesus wants us to do. I mean, literally, it is our mission statement here at Dublin First Baptist Church. If you look on our website or on our documents, um, our, our mission is to make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, you all know it, and everywhere. All right, we, we get that from Acts 1.8. We're going to read about that in the passage this morning, study it. Yeah, so, um, and then secondly, this is interesting, because Acts has no real proper ending. I mean, when we get to the end, we're going to find Paul in a temporarily maybe rented house under house arrest, possibly, in, um, in Rome. Um, but... There's no real ending or conclusion. Do you know why that is? Because Acts of the Apostles, it's a continuing story. Um, It's one of of which you, you are a part of this saga. And I pray that Dublin First Baptist Church would have a role that our part would be one that powerfully brings glory to God and actively accomplishes the mission that he gave us, because the mission is a go. This is the start right here this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we come to your word this morning, this is so exciting um, to see a risen, ascending Savior. And as we study that this morning, I I pray that we would um, be reminded of the power that that is in those two works of Christ. But also, Lord... um, It's so essential that we're constantly reminded of our purpose and our mission and our vision, and and you give us our mission here. 
There's so many other things that distract us in this life, but because our identity is primarily and most, most importantly, it's in our relationship with Jesus Christ. That mission, that, that, that trumps who we are in our career or, or anything else. What you want us to do as individuals and then as we come together as your church. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we learn your mission and then as we see examples of how you empower that mission to actually occur, I pray that it would give us courage and strength to live in obedience to you and um, to be on mission. And ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> verses 4 to 8, I want to kind of start there. We are going to go over the first three. But it's in verses 4 to 8 that we find the disciples' instruction. Before we take a look at these final instructions that Jesus gives to his disciples, the first three verses of Acts, uh, it helps to identify the human author, and it gives us some background, contextual information. Uh, if you look at verse 1 where it says, The former treatise, uh, that is a reference to the Gospel of Luke. And so we know that the human author that God inspired to write every word in this book to us is the disciple of Jesus named Luke. Uh, I said written to us because uh, you'll see there in verse 1, while this letter, or this book is addressed to someone named Theophilus, probably some associate of Luke, uh, the truth of God's word in the book of Acts is for every single one of us as well. Do you know what Theophilus means? It means God lover. And so I hope no matter what your name is here this morning, that that is also true of you. Before we move on from verse 1, I want to draw your attention to just one more phrase in there. It says, of all that Jesus began to do and teach, all that Jesus began to do and teach, that is recorded in the Gospel of Luke as well as Matthew and Mark and, and John. And here in the book of Acts, it tells us all of that Jesus continued to do. And teach. Do you understand that the work of Christ it did not come to a halt at his resurrection and his ascension? That Jesus works in the book of Acts, that Jesus is at work even this morning here in our world by his Holy Spirit through followers of Jesus Christ. Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he said that he believed a better name for this book is not the Acts of the Apostles, but the work of of the Lord Jesus Christ by his Holy Spirit through Jesus' followers. That'd be a long title. Um, so we'll just refer to it as Acts, but understand what he means there. Let's look at these instructions Jesus gives, verses 4 through 7. First of all, wait for the promise. In verse 4, we find Jesus with his disciples, and he gives them some commands. And the first one is to not go, <laughs> not to go anywhere, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, what is that? Well, they knew, Jesus says in verse 4, which you have heard of me. The promise that they were to wait for was the promise of the Holy Spirit coming to indwell them, to fill them, to empower them, to accomplish the rest of what Jesus was going to instruct them to do here. And they had heard of this promise, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' final message to them all in the upper room, right before he went to the cross, John 14, 16 to 18, and Jesus promises them there that God is going to give them another comforter another just like him but even better because he would be in them and he would be with them all and that is for every single believer who trusts in Jesus Christ as savior Jesus describes this upcoming promise of God's gift to the Holy Spirit to us 
uh, to believers in verse 5. He describes it as they're being baptized with the Holy Ghost. See, the idea of being baptized is to be completely immersed, completely covered in something. The water baptism that we'll learn about in the next chapter and throughout the rest of the Acts uh, book of Acts, um, the, the water baptism that we do here right behind me at Dublin First Baptist Church, it is a vivid, symbolic picture of the Holy Spirit baptism that Jesus is talking about here that occurs when we first trust in Christ as our Savior. And in verses 6 and 7, the disciples ask Jesus a question. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel right now? And Jesus answers them by telling them that information is not necessary for them to know at this point. So basically, they're told a, a second time in a, in a different way to wait, slow down, hang on, guys. They're told by Jesus that there's something more important than that at this time that needs to be their focus. And someone more important is coming. Verse 8 says, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. They are going to need power for this instruction that Jesus gives them here in verse 8. The Holy Ghost is going to come soon. And now here is the disciples' second instruction from Jesus. We just read it. Go make disciples. First he tells them to not go anywhere, to wait for the promise, and then to go make disciples. Every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, includes this commission uh, for followers of Jesus in some form or another. And here it is again. You are to be witnesses of me. Jesus says, you are to tell people about who I am, about what I have done to provide salvation from sin and death. Go and make disciples. If we went back to Matthew's uh, record of the Great Commission, Matthew 18, or um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, sorry. Um, there Jesus says, as you, as you are going, literally. Meaning as you live, as you work, as you play, as you're going through life, make disciples of Jesus Christ. Now there are specific details that Jesus gives them here in verse 8 for how he wants this to be accomplished. They are to start in Jerusalem. Back in verse 4, he says, go back there, wait there for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And then in concentric circles out from Jerusalem, they're to go to Judea, then they're to go to Samaria, and finally unto the uttermost part of the earth, like we like to say here at Dublin First Baptist, here, there, and everywhere. And I'm excited in the weeks ahead to study this actually happens. We'll see this together as we go through Acts chapters 1 through 7. It describes the gospel spreading in Jerusalem. And then Acts uh, 8 to 12, it's taken throughout Samaria. And then finally in, in Acts chapters 13 to 28, it records the gospel going to the ends of the then known earth at that time. And it is an amazing attestation to, to Christ powerfully working by his spirit through his followers. Pastor and theologian James Montgomery Boyce reminds us that humanly speaking, Christianity at this point had nothing going for it. Um, it had no money. It had no proven leaders. It had no technological tools like we have for propagating the gospel. And then on the negative side, it faced enormous obstacles. It was utterly new. People don't typically like new things. It taught truths that were incredible and offensive to the unsaved world. And it was subject to the most intense hatred and persecutions. 
But what happened? And we know what happened. And this was a monumental task, what these disciples were instructed to do here. Impossible in their own power. Now, you and I, we have the benefit of hindsight as we read and study this. But just try it this morning to put yourself into their shoes. Simple fishermen, former tax collectors. You want us to do what, Jesus? And you won't be here? (laughs) You're going to leave us, Jesus? I mean, 40 days earlier or so, what had they done when Jesus was arrested? Scattered. One of them had even denied him three times. And we know how they turned this world upside down for Jesus Christ. I mean, we are here because they obeyed this commandment. But here in verse 8, when they're assigned to this, this instruction, that hasn't happened yet. It's just being assigned to them. Would they be alone? They wouldn't be alone. That's why they were told to wait. That's why Jesus assured them that they would receive. I love that word. You're going to receive power to do what I've instructed you to do. They didn't have to amass that power on their own in and of themselves. It's going to be given to them in just a little bit if they would just wait. Waiting is hard. Do you ever struggle with waiting? Do I struggle with waiting? Yes. It didn't take long. Waiting is hard. But if we're going to accomplish what Jesus asks of us uh, as his followers, we have to do things his way. We have to do things in his power. Can I just testify to you for a minute this morning? One of the most frightening things that I consider from time to time is the reality that um, we can do church here without waiting and, and without the Holy Spirit. I mean, it happens all the time, every week at churches that profess to know Christ as Savior, uh, prayerfully not here or not often here. But what I'm trying to say is that we can go through all of the activities, the events, the motions. We, we can go through all the schedules that are a part of being a part of a church. But if we try to do it without waiting on God's guidance and power, it is not going to accomplish what he has instructed us to do. It won't. Now, let me just give you a current relatable example. I chose this last Sunday evening, last Monday, because of what's happening starting tonight. VBS kicks off tonight. There has been a lot of planning. There's been a lot of setup, hard work. Um, I thank God for all of the volunteers who are going to come and be used of God and empowered by the Holy Spirit to make this happen. Um, But honestly, we could do every single aspect of all that will go on here over the next few days. We could do it. Uh, in our own power, we just won't be doing what Jesus is asking us to do. I want you to think about it. I mean, people run summer day camps all of the time where there's no mention or regard really for Jesus Christ. And if we aren't waiting and depending on God's guidance, if we're not praying for and depending on the Holy Spirit's power to accomplish what it is that Jesus has assigned to us, we will not make his name treasured here this week. We won't. And that's just one example. That goes for anything that happens in this church or as a ministry out of this church. Anything we attempt to do as a church, we need to wait on him. We need to seek him. We need to pray for his Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us so that we can actually go and make disciples. Now let's look at the disciples' confirmation, verses 9 through 14. And we read in verses 9 and 10 about Christ's ascension. There are Christian denominations Um, Protestant ones that focus on and celebrate what is described in verses 9 through 10 much more than we typically do as Baptists. 
Tommy and I have talked about this before. We probably need to do a better job because Christ's ascension is extremely important. It is a confirmation given to us by God that God the Father has accepted Christ's substitutionary and sacrificial work on our behalf in his death and his resurrection. It is the confirmation given to us by God that the Holy Spirit of Christ that, that would be sent after Jesus ascended. He is available to every believer to indwell them, to fill them, to empower them, to live in obedience to the instructions that Jesus gave us in the preceding verse. Christ's ascension is a confirmation given to us by God that Jesus Christ is right now, at this moment here this morning, he is ruling and reigning from his exalted position at the right hand of the Father. And that the all power in heaven and earth that Matthew 28 talks about, it is now available to us right here this morning through his Holy Spirit. A confirmation that, yes, Christ's work continues by the Holy Spirit through his followers. Christ ascended here, verses 9 to 10. Must have been something to see, don't you think? Try to visualize it. Verse 9 says that Jesus was taken up to heaven. He was received in a cloud out of their sight. In the 40 days before this, sometimes he would just appear in a room and maybe disappear. This time they watched him go up bodily, watched him go up. 2,000 years later, I mean, we can't see that. We might have tried to visualize it just now. We can't witness that. In verse 10, we read that Jesus' disciples steadfastly looked toward heaven as he went up. I bet, I bet they did. <laughs> Can you imagine that sight? And we can't see that, but we will see his descent. Amen? Roscoe sang about that. We will see him return in like manner, as verse 11 describes it. And that's where the Christian's assignment is reinforced once again. Verse 11 tells us that two angels appeared and told the disciples, this same Jesus, which is now taken up into heaven, shall so come in like manner. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are going to see that. You'll witness that. But before that, verse 11 records a question from these two angels to the disciples. They said, fellas, what are you doing standing here? gazing up into heaven? That's a sensible question because they had been given instructions, right? So what were they still doing? And um, it wasn't time to gaze. It was time to wait for the promise and then go make disciples once the Holy Spirit came. And that's what they did. Verse 12 says that they returned to Jerusalem once it's just a Sabbath day's journey. You were only allowed to walk so far. This was a short walk. The Mount of Olives is right outside of Jerusalem. And they went back to Jerusalem obeying Christ's instructions. And now please pay attention to this beautiful biblical description of what Jesus' instructions for waiting looks like. Very important for us if we ever find ourselves in a waiting period. Verses 13 and 14. It says, And when they were come in, they went into an upper room. And then we have a list of all of the apostles who are there. And then it says in verse 14, These all, they all continued with one accord in prayer, and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with Jesus' brothers. So here's all the disciples that just witnessed the confirmation of everything they have been taught, everything they have witnessed over the past three years as Jesus ascends up into heaven. They're in the upper room, and verse 14 tells us what they are doing there and also what our waiting on God for power should look like. It says, these all 
continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Not, not just the now 11 apostles, but with Jesus' other disciples as well. All of them. And there's some important things for us to learn here in these phrases, some details to help us understand how we are to wait on God's empowerment for our mission. First of all, we need to be in one accord, just as they were. There is notable unity here. Not sameness, but there's notable unity. Think about the gospel descriptions of this, the disciples and how they often acted. Frequent bickering. <laughs> um, fighting. A lot of jockeying for position among the disciples before Christ died and rose from the dead. But what are they like now? What does it say? They're, they're all, all of them, in one accord. They're still different people, different personality types. They look different. They used to do different things. They come from different walks of life. They have different passions, different talents and giftings from God. But they have been unified here. <laughs> what unified them? Well, Christ's work for them, his death and his resurrection, they have witnessed that with their eyes. And they've also been unified by the mission that he has assigned them to accomplish. The very same two things that should unify us together. That we've received a crucified and risen Savior by faith. That we're new creations. And that we've been assigned this one task. We're all in the same mission. To make the name of Jesus treasured here, there, and everywhere. That should be the great unifier, just like it was for them. Secondly, what are they doing unified together here? They're praying. Continued. Continuous prayer. And then the word supplication is added. Please note that because God could have just said they were all up there praying. But with supplication, it implies a sense of desperation, complete dependence on God, and earnestness in prayer. And church, that is what our waiting needs to look like too. We're, we're not waiting on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit like they were. I mean, he has come and he lives within every follower of Jesus Christ. But there's oftentimes, I mean, we're constantly waiting on living in a state of being filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by him. Listen, there is nothing that will take up space of you being filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit like selfishness and pride and disunity. And there is nothing that will take up space for you to be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit like a lack of prayerful dependence on God. And so my prayer is, God, help us to do what these first disciples did here, to fervently pray for the power of the Holy Spirit together, unified by our identity in Christ, unified by our being dependent on his power. Verses 15 to 26, it talks about the disciples' selection. God's word is acknowledged here. There's another aspect to waiting on God here, even, even beyond unity and mission, uh, beyond dependence and fervent prayer, and that is the knowledge and obedience to God's word. In verses 15 to 22, it tells us that Peter leads a group of now about 120 or so followers of Jesus Christ to select a replacement apostle for Judas who had betrayed Christ and had since committed suicide. And Peter quotes a couple of prophetic passages from God's word from the book of Psalms about the betrayal and demise of Judas, Psalm 69, 25, Psalm 109, 8. 
And do you see here, though, how the disciples of Jesus, as, as they wait on God's direction, where are they going? They're going to his word, what they had at the time. They're going to the book of Psalms for direction. Um, they have to choose another apostle. There are some ministers today who use that um, term, that term, word apostle as a title for themselves. But, but biblically, we have a description here of what an apostle had to be for someone to be considered an apostle. They had to be an eyewitness of Jesus' ministry, eyewitness of it, uh, from the time of John's baptism all the way through the resurrection of, of Jesus Christ, the whole time. And so that narrowed down the prospects for who would be Judas' replacement. They acknowledge God's word. They obey God's word. And then we see God's will accomplished in verses 23 to 26. We find out in verse 23 there are two, two who fit this requirement that were appointed um, to be voted on, I guess you could say. A man named Joseph, whose Greek name was Barsabbas Justice, and then another man named Matthias. In verses 24 to 26, they record a rather unusual, for us anyway, selection process. It says that they cast lots. Please understand, that was a common way to determine God's will or how to act in a particular situation in the Old Testament. This is the only time that believers did it in the New Testament. We're not told that this is the way we should make disciples uh, or make selections of individuals to serve within the church. Uh, we're not instructed here to do that. In fact, after uh, Acts Chapters 2 and 3, the record uh, of anything like this is always of Jesus' followers relying on the wisdom that's given by God's Holy Spirit through God's word for decisions like this. But, but we need to remember that these are individuals who had trusted in Jesus as Savior but had yet to be indwelled or filled with the Holy Spirit. And I think they're following God's word here. Proverbs 16, verse 33, it says, The lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is of the Lord. I think they're just simply following the truth that God's word teaches there. Yes, it is probably less than our currently ideal way to discern God's will, but we still see the disciples in this passage completely dependent on God's sovereign power to have his will accomplished. And that's important. It says the lot fell upon Matthias. Who did that? Luck? Fate? Who made the lot fall upon Matthias? Our sovereign God. Yeah. The continued work of Christ by his Holy Spirit through Jesus' followers. That's what we have learned in Acts 1 this morning. Instructions given uh, by Jesus to his followers then and today for us here this morning to wait in dependence on the Holy Spirit for power. And then instruction to go and make disciples. That's what we've been assigned, every single one of us in Acts chapter 1 this morning. Battling pride and self-reliance and self-glorification uh, in unity of identity and Christ, in unity uh, of our mission from Christ, that's what we have been challenged to commit to. I want to ask if you'll do that. Will you do that this morning? Man, we need that. Don't want to go through the motions. Don't want to do church. I want the Holy Spirit <laughs> to be actively working through us so, so that we can actually make an impact for the kingdom of God, for God's glory. Will you commit to that this morning? Will you say, I, I, yes, I will wait on Holy Spirit power. I will plead right now. I will plead this morning for Holy Spirit power. I'll commit to serve together 
and Holy Spirit power to go make disciples and Holy Spirit power. Listen, if we will, the work of Christ by the Holy Spirit through us, it will continue. I mean, in, in a non-heretical, extra-biblical way, we will continue to write the story of Acts, writing new chapters together for God's glory until Jesus Christ returns. I'm going to ask Tommy to come up, and I'd encourage you, especially as, as we're about to kick off kind of a special thing here this evening. VBS is starting. What do we want to see happen? The gospel proclaimed. The name of Jesus treasured here. We work there. We work everywhere. This is our opportunity for here. Will you join me in committing to do what God has assigned us to do and asked us to do this morning in unity because of our, our identity in Christ and in unity of mission? Will you commit to making sure that we're doing what Jesus asked us to in Holy Spirit power.